Hello and welcome back to Tells. Hi. Hi. Hi, <laughs> Hi Andrew. Hi. Uh, on this episode of Tells, we have a very special guest, one Benton Blakeman. Do you know Benton? I do. I know him well. I've known him for quite a quite a little while now. So Benton is on the podcast to share with us about married life and poker. Is that the title? Married life, father life, family man, uh, juggling all three things at the same time. But I feel like a lot of people have questions about that sort of thing. How do you uh, live a normal life? How do you have a significant other, uh, a wife? What does the wife think about your professional poker life? How do you have a child? Uh, and what are the stresses that come along with that? So Benton's here to bring all the A's to your Q's. Ace to your cues. But before that, we have some listener feedback. Okay. And we received a message from Aaron. And Aaron says, Hello, Andrew and Woosie. Do you think it's possible to date a woman you met through an ex? I'd like to start dating this woman, but have some reservations about starting a relationship with a few ex-girlfriends that she is still very close with. It's been over 10 years since these previous relationships have come to an end. Also, the more serious one is currently in a committed relationship. The less serious one is freshly divorced and moved back closer to home. Basically, there'll be no avoiding these exes if I date this woman. Looking for your expert, and he says in parentheses, uh, that's for you, Boosie, opinion. Mm -hmm. thank, you, thank you in advance. Oh, man. Okay. Scandalous. <laughs> Mildly scandalous. I'd so, say on the scandalous scale, give it a... Two. Uh, yeah, two and a half. Two and a half? Yeah. Okay. Let's you want to go first? Let's dig into this. <laughs> Do you think it's possible to date a woman you met through an ex-girlfriend? Well, he did say that the, uh, the the last relationship of amongst her friends and him was, what, 10 years ago? Is that what he said? Yeah, but I want to answer question by question. All right. So the first question is, do you think it's possible to date a woman you met through an ex-girlfriend? I say yes. Mm. Why do you say yes? Well, I think it's just sort of natural that you find and meet other people through your circle that you have established. And hopefully, uh, you know, it kind of depends on how the previous relationship, I think, ended and like how amicable it was because you don't want to be around people that you kind of hate now. <laughs> <laughs> that could be awkward for everybody. But I feel like if it ended uh, on a, you know, reasonably mature note um, and you're going to be running into uh, that person, probably going to be fine. I just don't think that there's like, you know, these, we want, you know, storybook uh, tales where you randomly meet somebody in some, you know, romantic location and it's, you know, a magical story of love at first sight, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like it's a lot more human and natural to where you're meeting people through through other people. That's I would say move towns. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> this must be a small town. Probably not. It's just like it might a not community, be, right? Like you're all friends with friends. Yeah. If there was no context to this question, I would say absolutely not. Okay, like if, so, the, if the only question was, do you think it's possible to date a woman you met through an ex-girlfriend? Mm -hmm. I would say no. Because, I mean, unless they're not, if they're friends, then definitely not. If they're just acquaintances, then yes. <laughs> because you don't want that mix. Because she already, like if it's a friend, she already knows all the bad stuff about you <laughs> before you even start this relationship because guess what she whatever so, was annoying her she told her friend yeah but that's maybe that's not a big deal maybe like you know certain things bother certain people to different levels right i think it would still start the relationship off a little bit tainted because you could you like even if it remotely resembled what you she the other girlfriend said you might have done now she's already mad because she's not just mad for herself; she's mad for her for her girlfriend as well. <laughs> so if it, that was the context, I would say no. Yeah. But However, it's been ten years. Mm -hmm. 
you should be a different person in 10 years yeah theoretically so yeah i don't see what the issue could be yeah, yeah. 10 years is a pretty long time things have changed people have moved on there's very unlikely to be any sort of like harsh feelings in the circle i would imagine we hope oh, yeah we hope so <laughs> but yeah i mean 10 years down the road yeah i think that with the context like the time frame it's not like this girl is the serious relationship girlfriend is now has your child and you left her and now you're trying to date her friend that would be scandalous but this seems like she's in a committed relationship so she's not worried about you it's not a deal breaker because that's his last question is this a deal breaker no, i think not. not after 10 years if the person that you broke up with is still not over it mm-hmm. even when they're dating somebody else then they have other problems yeah i think uh if your intentions are good uh if you're not just trying to like sleep with your ex's friends and you're actually <laughs> really interested in this person and you are you know happy with this person hopefully your ex wants you to be happy as well as her friend and yeah like busi said 10 years down the road hopefully there's no ill ill feelings at this point and uh everyone's mature about it and wants to see that true love blossom yeah so good luck aaron invite us to the wedding if there is one one day no two 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 far down the line um yeah sure it'd be great to, it'd be great to meet your ex at the wedding <laughs> Uh and with that let's go to our conversation with Benton. Let's bring him in. Enjoy. Benton Blakeman is a professional poker player, co-founder of the Hand History Lounge. I've heard of that. You have? Mm-hmm. Who's the other co-founder of the Hand History Lounge? Oh, I think it might be me. Yeah. Mm. And Benton is here to share with us the life of a married with child poker experience. Is that accurate? Professional poker player, full-time poker player. Professional full-time poker player. And not just like for the past week. <laughs> for like a Years. reasonable amount of time, yeah. Years. Actually like pays the bills and stuff. Yeah. Impressive. Welcome uh, Benton. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you first get into poker? So where are you from and how did you get into poker? Sure. Yeah, I'm from a um, little tiny town called Thibodeau, Louisiana. It's kind of in the middle of the swamp more or less, south of New Orleans. When I was in college, I just started playing. I I was a, a golf professional and uh as I guess seems to happen a lot at the country clubs, people get together and start playing cards after they play golf. And uh I realized I really enjoyed playing poker. So somebody told me about a little poker game they had at a local bar every night. So after I would finish working at the golf course, I'd head over to that bar at night and play cards and just fell in love with the game. Um, it was kind of cool because I was uh, right at that weird age, like 20, about to turn 21, and a lot of my friends were drinking a whole bunch. And uh, somehow poker kind of kept me out of trouble. I just went to play cards every night, fell in love with it, graduated college, uh, took a trip to Vegas uh, within the first few hours here. Knew this is where I wanted to be. Went home and told my parents, hey, I'm packing up the car and I'm going to Vegas. And that was kind of it. <laughs> it's uh, It's been uh, 15, uh, 16 years ago now. So Crazy. It's, it's been Have you always been so decisive about what you wanted to do in no, life? No, no. I was like the most laid back, indecisive person you ever met. Like my mom would still, I was living at home, you know, like my mom would still choose what I had for dinner every night because I could never make up my mind about anything. But so I lived at home with them in college. Uh, my college was in the same hometown I was from. But my last semester, I went to Baton Rouge and I uh, went to LSU, did an internship at the state capitol. And like I toyed with the idea of moving to Baton Rouge and I told my parents, oh, I think I'm going to move to Baton Rouge. And they didn't believe me. And they just, okay, this is classic Benton. He's not sure what he wants to do. And and they were hundred percent right. Cause I really didn't want to be in Baton Rouge. I just felt like I wasn't supposed to be in the small town anymore. And after I went on that vacation to, to Las Vegas and came back and I told my mom, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move to Las Vegas. She immediately said, well, let's start making a list of things that we need for, you know, for you to move. Because she knew it was, it was like the first time I ever was super decisive about something in my life. Wow. Yeah. So you packed up and drove cross country to Las Vegas. 
Yeah, I actually called. The, I stayed at the Monte Carlo for the uh, or, or what's what's the Monte Carlo now? The the Park and GM. Yeah, so the old Monte Carlo and um, the lady who made our reservations uh, for my cousin and I when I just came out for the the little trip. Apparently, she knew his family because they had been going to the Monte Carlo a while. So I just called her up and said, "I'm not sure if you remember me. You just made our reservations a few weeks ago." But I want to move to Las Vegas, and I have no idea where I should live. Uh, any way you could help me. And, like, obviously this is not her job. She works at the Monte Carlo, <laughs> like, making people's hotel reservations. And I said, I found some some apartment on Sierra Vista Lane for, like, 400 a month. And she's like, oh, my God, no. She says, give me a few hours. I'll get back to you. And, yeah, and she got back to me, like, that afternoon and and said, look, this is I found this great apartment for you. It's a studio furnished, 600 bucks a month. It's in a really good area. And I just called them up and, and rented a unit sight unseen just based on a lady who I didn't know's recommendation. Crazy. Okay, so did you use the money from golf and – no, so okay. So this was kind of weird too. So I had I had made like five thousand dollars that I saved up. Obviously, I didn't have any bills. Um, you know, living with my parents and going to college, and I was lucky enough to have a scholarship to college. So I was making like I don't know six dollars an hour at the golf course, something tiny. It was enough to to like take my girlfriend at the time out to dinner every Friday night. But I'd saved up five thousand dollars to uh, from playing poker at that little local bar game, four and eight dollar limit hold'em game. And um, about two months before I decided to move to Vegas, I went out and bought a motorcycle for $4,000. Oh, lovely. Um, granted, I had never ridden a motorcycle. <laughs> um, but I thought it was a great idea because uh, at my college, you could park the motorcycle like right up by the classroom. And I was so lazy. I hated walking like a quarter of a mile away. So it was strictly just so I could park there. But anyway, yeah, I, I ended up selling the motorcycle and that's the money I used to move out to Vegas. I took a small loss on it, but not much, not much of one. So you were uh, you were beating up the uh, the country club poker game like pretty quickly. Where you did it require any studying, or was it just like pretty soft? You could figure out what to what to do. No, that's that's like the weirdest thing. Like you know, and Andrew, you can like attest to this. Like you can just remember hands like super vividly, like are um, super descriptive of of the way a hand plays out. I can still remember my first time I went there. I borrowed a hundred dollars from a friend of mine who was a golfer at the at the country club. And now we're at this bar called the Crossing Bar, and I'm playing poker with these people I've never met before. So he lends me a hundred dollars. I have no clue what I'm doing. And uh, at this point, it's one to four dollar limit uh, spread limit hold'em. So you could bet anywhere from one dollar to four dollar on any street, and four dollar be the maximum bet. And I'm winning like $400 in this game, which is just an ungodly amount to be winning in a, a one to four dollar spread limit game. And I get up to go to the bathroom and I take like we play with dollar bills. I take like this wad of four four hundred you know dollar bills, and I get up and like oh I need to go to the bathroom. And immediately these guys start going nuts because they're like oh you don't trust us you don't want to leave the money here. And I remember I was like I was so nervous right so. I, I got lucky that, that a guy I knew was in the game besides the guy from the country club. It was uh, one of my uncle's best friends just walks in and he ends up becoming my mentor later in life. He ends up becoming my son's godfather. And he was like a, I mean, as close to me as anybody in the world. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away about a year ago. But anyway, so I knew him. So apparently he tells everybody at the table, look, give the kid a break. You know, he, he doesn't understand the culture of, of gambling. He's never been around this before. So anyway, I win 400 bucks for the night. Um, I go the next three nights in a row and I lose 100 each night. I quit after 100. So now I'm down to $100. And I take two weeks off and my friend who originally brought me to the game lends me um, Theory of Poker. I think David Clancy's book. And another book that I can't remember. Winning Lola at Hold'em maybe. And I read those books for like two weeks straight. And I come back like swearing I'm going to I'm going to be great at poker with my last hundred dollars. And I get down to like 20 bucks off the hundred and I'm just like so depressed. And I can still remember I get dealt pocket fours. I don't know what the flop was. I completely missed a flop. Uh, I'm not going anywhere like this is my last 20 bucks. This is it. Long story short, the river comes a four. I win like an $80 pot. And from that $80, I, I never went broke again. What? So, 
Yeah. So it was uh, – I, I still laugh to this day because had, had the four not come on the river, like I was making six bucks an hour uh, as a golf pro. Unless somebody would have loaned me money, I wouldn't have been able to go back to the game because I would have just never – I mean, I couldn't save a hundred dollars at that time. I, I was making no money, so I don't know if I mean I'm maybe I eventually get back to it, but like who knows? Like it, it, it could have been one river card away from you know having a different being a car salesman or something. Who knows? Life's crazy. <laughs> Did you have any other idea of what you might have wanted to do? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so at that point, I was twenty, and I was a. a PGA golf professional. So I was just planning on being a golf professional. I got a, a full-time job working at a nicer golf course and I was working between 50 and 60 hours a week and I was getting paid $17,000 a year. And I, and I had to eat lunch at the country club every day, which I'm not sure how familiar you are with country clubs, but like, it's not cheap to eat at the country club, <laughs> but they wouldn't let me, but they wouldn't let me leave. So Every two weeks, I would work in between 100 and 120 hours per pay period for every two weeks, and I would get a check for between 500 and 540 dollars every two weeks. And I was in the PGA program, like I was a registered PGA golf professional, passed a playing test, did everything I needed to do. I had a college degree, and I couldn't even move out of my parents' house. Wow. So uh, I took a second job at night bartending and then kind of started burning the candle on both ends. And uh, I was making more, a lot more bartending three nights a week than I was working five days a week as a golf pro. Um, went in and talked to the boss. Yeah. And told him, I was like, look, I just can't. He told me, he said, you've got to give up one of the two. Which one do you really see a career in? And I said, well, I can't make it on $17,000 a year. I can't even move out of my parents' house. And he said, okay, let me talk to management. He came back the next day and said, great news. I got you a raise. You'll be making 18000 a year now. <laughs> wow. So I, uh, that's when I put in my two-week notice with him and said, you know, sorry, I, I just can't do this. So at the same time, I decided that I was going to go into the military after that because uh, I'm, I'm like scrambling. Like, what am I going to do now? Right? Like my whole career path had just been shattered because there was just no money in it. Uh, as a golf pro playing poker for a living wasn't even on the table. I mean, I, I loved it, but I didn't really think it was possible to make a living playing poker. And the only game where I was at was four and $8 limit hold them, which, you know, you're hoping to make eight bucks an hour. So I went to the, um, MEPS, what they call it, I guess the military entrance processing center got processed to go into the Navy, uh, to go to officer candidate school, to be a Naval officer. And uh, during the physical, I got turned down because I had asthma uh, when I was growing up. And apparently they're really tough on asthma. Then I, uh, the Coast Guard contacted me because my scores and everything on the test were really good. And they said, we want to talk to you. I went to, in front of a board of Coast Guard officers, unanimous approval to go in as a Coast Guard officer to their uh, like boot camp. And, and then the same thing through the processing. Eventually, I got turned down because of the asthma. And that wow. was what, that's what led to the the trip to Vegas because I just needed to get away for a weekend, a long weekend because just kind of decompress and I had no clue what to do with my life and yeah and just checked into the Monte Carlo and I remember opening the the uh, <clears throat> curtains on the big window and looking out towards like M and M World and Coca Cola place like you know out to the right at the MGM and it's like this is where I want to be. Wow. Yeah. We move to Vegas. We move into the uh, the new recommended studio apartment, fully furnished. With, with the bed that folded out of the wall. Yes. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Murphy full, bed. full Murphy bed. Yeah. The minimal the minimalist lifestyle, Benton Blakeman. All right. It was it was amazing, man. It before, was even a trend. It was absolutely and just another fun point. To this point in my life, and moving into that appointment apartment, I'd still never owned a computer. That's how minimalist <laughs> I was. <laughs> I, I bought my first computer when I was there just so I could play on party poker. But I guess that's a different story. Yeah. Okay. So what year was this? Uh, 2003. Okay. So you're arriving uh, just as things are about to explode for, for poker. Yeah. Moved in uh, at the end of April in 03. Mm -hmm. When was Moneymaker? 
Moneymaker one, maybe like a couple months later or something. The, the, ne the next month, actually, I've got the poster here on my wall, still framed from the 03 World Series, and it looks like the main events. Day one started on Monday, May 19th, and it concluded on Friday, May 23rd, was the end of the World Series. Yeah, they used to have it in not so quite ridiculously hot weather uh, in Vegas, but then they realized they could use a little help filling those hotel rooms, so they moved it into the uh, the middle of the summer. So you've come to Vegas to become a poker player. What's your well, I, didn't, I didn't really become a poker player. Like when I came to Vegas, my I didn't tell like if I told my parents I'm moving to Vegas, I'm going to be a poker player. Like that whole conversation with my mom, with my mom saying, "What do we need to do to get you ready?" might have been totally different. Right. I, I told them I'm going to Vegas to find work because I want to mm. work in the casino industry. Mm. Um, and Did you work, know at the time that you wanted to play poker full time? Oh, I wanted to play poker full time. But you have to remember, I had only, like the biggest game I'd ever played was pretty much four and eight. Occasionally, like towards the last year before I left, like once every three months, we would have a five and ten dollar limit with twenty dollar bet on the river. Five, we call it five, five and ten with twenty on the end game. And that was like a huge game, right? So normally, I mean, I had just played and like we're talking not five and ten, no limit, we're, limit hold them. Um, so I didn't think you could really make a living playing poker. And I knew I didn't have the money because um, like I would have to play a minimum of 10 and $20 limit. And I didn't know if I could beat a 10 and $20 limit game in Vegas because at the time when I moved here, there was no such thing as no limit hold them. Um, they just didn't, they didn't, I mean, they had no limit hold'em little tournaments like at the Sahara and, you know, daily tournaments, but as far as no limit cash games that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, so you had to play limit hold'em and I moved out here with like $7,000 maybe to my name. And, and that definitely was not enough to say, I'm going to go out there and play poker for a living. Now I knew when I moved out here, that was my, my deal was I was going to play a ton of poker. I wanted to be somewhere where when I got off work, if I wanted to go play poker, I could just go play poker because that's what I love doing. But yeah, it took me, it took me, it was scary because I moved out here in April, very end of April, probably for the first six months that I was out here, I was probably a losing player trying to adjust to the rake and, and just how poker in Vegas worked. Uh, definitely played some games I shouldn't have because just not knowing better and, Back then, the Bellagio used to spread a lot of limit hold'em, and uh, so I mean, I have like seven thousand dollars, and you know, I go, to, I'm gonna go play fifteen and thirty, which you know is nowhere near enough. Um, eventually, I settled in at the Mirage, playing ten and twenty limit, and then as I got a little bit more money, twenty and forty limit. But I really spent those first three months um, playing a lot of six twelve limit at the Mirage, six twelve limit at the Orleans. And looking for jobs. And I mean, I, I got to the point of desperation where a friend sent me a link that they were looking for uh, for people working at Walmart just to go out and, and look for a job at Walmart. Um, I can remember going to an interview at the Excalibur in the marketing department for an $8 an hour job, and I didn't get it. It would have been a $2 raise from your golfing Yeah, job. exactly. Exactly. I remember going to the Harrah's... Uh, somewhere at Harrah's and doing a typing test to see if I could do some kind of secretarial work and where they recorded how many words per minute I could type, which I knew was not going to be good because I had never owned a computer. <laughs> so I uh, did not get that job. I'm sure I failed that one miserably. And I honestly, I had, I had no clue what, what I was going to do. I remember getting a packet from um, Boyd School of Law at UNLV and thinking maybe if I enroll in law school, uh, my parents would send me some money just so I don't have to move back home. Yeah, there's an, uh, there's an out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I honestly thought about that. And uh, back to, I say, my guardian angel is the guy who who I, I spoke about a while ago who took me under his wing in the first poker game, uh, my uncle's good friend. He sent me a mess, or he called me and said, uh, you should go to the Palms and check out this uh, Cine Vegas Film Festival. They're showing a movie called Stewie about the life of Stu Unger. And he said, it kind of get your mind off things. And I said, that sounds great. I went to the Palms. Uh, of course, the way things were running for me, nothing was working. I got there and that one movie happens to be sold out. Um, <laughs> so I'm like standing around like a depressed puppy and randomly a guy walks up to me and says, oh, well, what are you going to see? And I said, oh, I came to see Stewie, but it's sold out. And, uh, and the guy just hands me a ticket for it. And uh, come to find out after the movie. 
he was the guy who who wrote, directed, and had a part in the movie. So anyway, I go see the movie, and uh, and now I'm kind of feeling happy, like things are looking up. So I go wandering around to Palms after. At this point, I'm down to probably a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars left off my seven thousand, mm-hmm. and uh, and I stumble upon a poker room at the Palms, which I didn't know existed. I had pretty much been going to the Monte Carlo and the Mirage and the Bellagio to play. I just happened to ask the guy at the front desk. I said, any chance you guys are hiring? He said, oh, you have to talk to the poker manager. I said, okay, where is he? And he points to a table in the middle of the room. He's like, he's the one in the white shirt dealing on that table. So it's as soon as though, and then he was an older guy. As soon as he gets up from the table, I kind of run up to him and said, uh, I was told to talk to you about a job. Uh, are you guys hiring a dealers? And he kind of looked at me and he said, no, he said, I don't need dealers. I'm just dealing because it's fun. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I'm just kind of standing there shocked. And he says, do you know how to deal? I said, well, I've been playing cards for a while. Uh, I've never dealt before. And he just kind of shakes his head and he says, come see me tomorrow at nine o'clock or whatever time he said. And I showed up the next day and talked to him. And then he gave me an audition the following day and uh, and I gave me a job dealing, dealing poker at the, at the Palms. So that was like the start of uh, Vegas. You start dealing at the Palms. Are you playing afterwards as well? Cause- so, so I started dealing at the Palms, but I was so bad. <laughs> <dealing> poker. <laughs> the, the guy tells me when he, he watches me deal one hand in an audition and he says, uh, and he pulls me up from the box and he's like, yep, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm like so ashamed. He goes, but. I have a good feeling about you. And he said, it's against my better judgment, but he said, I'm going to give you a job. He said, but we're going to put you on graveyard shift and just kind of train you up a little bit. So I got on graveyard shift and the first day I tried to deal and I was terrible. And he kind of pulled me out the box and they said, what we're going to do is we're going to make you a cashier where we'll pay you eight, eight bucks an hour plus benefits. But when we need a dealer, you'll get in there and deal and get some reps and eventually we'll make you a dealer. So that was the uh, 4th of July, 2003 when I started. So what they did, though, was they found out that I like playing and that uh, I guess I probably just told them, like, oh, yeah, I win all the time or something, some stupid comment like that. <laughs> I win um, all the time. Yeah, I mean, because I, I don't know any different. And uh, and they said, well, do you want to be a prop player? And I said, well, what, what do you mean? And they said, well, we'll still keep your eight bucks an hour cashier pay, give you benefits, but you just play with your own money on the clock. And I was just like, I'm sold. I'm, I'm in – a hundred percent in. Let me know if you need me to work overtime. And that's what I did for a couple months. I just played on graveyard shift two, four, two and four dollar limit, four and eight dollar limit. They pay me eight dollars an hour. I got free Red Bull. It was it, 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 to me. I was like living the dream. I mean, I was in Vegas. Now I'm playing poker for a living, but I don't have to tell people I'm playing poker for a living. I can, you know, I have a real job right. uh, with, with benefits and. Nice. Uh, and that lasted for a little while. Um, were you were you a winning poker player at this time? You know, I at at that point, I probably wasn't winning outside of the job, but maybe I took it more serious because, like, my parents would ask me, you know, how I did and stuff like that. At the when I told them, they were a little bit skeptical when I said I'm going to be a prop player, um, but I explained it to them. And uh, anyway, I had one losing session over like the month or so that I was a prop player. Um, so, so yes, I was a winning prop player, but at this point I was, I had not turned a profit actually playing, uh, mm. you know, everything all together. And then after about a month of it, uh, yeah, September, right when football started, they needed more dealers because they were getting very busy with football, uh, promotions. So that's when I, I moved out of being a graveyard prop player and, and cashier and, and got into dealing, did that for a few months, then, uh, then got promoted which was actually a demotion money-wise, but uh, technically a promotion, and I became a, a shift manager. And I uh, did that for about six months before I decided to quit and play poker for a living. Hmm. That was quick, right? I mean... Just over a year. I did like everything in the poker room, but I only worked there for a year and two months. But I, I did, I mean, everything. The cashier, the prop player, dealer, shift manager... And then while I was a shift manager, I was also playing poker 40 hours a week. So I would work 4 p.m. to midnight, and then I would bring a backpack with me. And when I would leave the Palms at midnight, I'd go straight to the Bellagio, get in the game by 12.30 or so, and play until mm, about 5 in the morning, 5.30, 6. And then I would play my two days off. But yeah, for about six months, I was doing both jobs full time. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's always like the question that people ask pretty frequently is how do you go about building a bankroll? Yeah. And I always tell them, you know, you the best way to do it is to be working a job. And then as soon as your job's over and you're off hours, you go to the poker room and you grind. Or if you want to play like micro stakes or small stakes online or whatever. And then on your weekends as well. And then you have the dual income streams, but you basically have to like cut up cut out a, b- a bunch of other stuff in your life. Like if you're going to the bar or whatever, there's not gonna mm-hmm. be a lot of time for that sort of a thing. And you pretty much did exactly that. Yeah. So I, I did mine. I, I tried to be as professional as I could because I, I wanted to present it to my parents. Remember I'm an only child. So I, I'm very, very close to my parents. I don't hide things from them. And I wanted to be upfront with them, but I knew it was gonna be a tough conversation. Like I'm quitting my job to play poker for a living. You know, they're not used to anything like that. So what I did was I, I busted my butt for like those six months. I was getting a salary. I think I was making 35000 a year as the shift manager uh, plus tips. Um, but my bills weren't terribly high. I was like maybe 2000 a month or so, and maybe a little bit more. I don't remember exactly. But what I did was I, I really busted my butt during that time, and I paid off my car. That way I wouldn't have any car note knowing I was going to quit my job. I paid a year's worth of or six months worth of car insurance ahead of time. Everything I could pay ahead of time, I paid ahead of time. And once the smoke cleared, I went to my parents and said, look, I've got uh, I was getting into online poker, too. But I still remember I had thirteen thousand dollars in cash and I had like, I don't know, three or four thousand online. And that was like I, I was ready to go. But now I had reduced my bills to like fifteen hundred a month. Um, How rich did you feel with $13,000 cash? And I, I mean, I felt comfortable, which looking back, probably not enough. But but then again, uh, the way poker was then, it actually probably was way more than enough for if you didn't have leaks outside of poker. But I felt pretty, pretty good. My first month, I made 22000 So right. like at the end of my first month, now I felt like all the money in the world which led me to my second month of playing 80 and 160 limit deuce to seven triple draw on ultimate bet and losing like 7,845 minutes. Cause I thought I was like, <laughs> had all the money in the world. and was unbeatable. And that started a pretty nasty slide for a while, you know, cause even, even at that point with like 40,000 to lose 7,845 minutes is, uh, that'll, that'll do some funny things to your head. Yeah, no kidding. So had the had the poker boom sort of like begun by then? Did you see oh, things that were happening? Boom, poker boom was in full effect at that point. When I quit working in September of '04, the Palms was still the hottest place for No Limit. Like there was no real one two or one three around town. Like two five was just the game that started. So it was a hundred to five hundred two five, and I mean that's the game that I made twenty thousand in the first month. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you just not going to do that. And I mean, maybe somebody will make 20,000 in a 500 cap game now, but they would have to run like insanely good. I don't think I even ran insanely good. They just played insanely bad for a very long time. Okay. So now you're working, how many hours are you working as a professional poker player? I mean, it's not really work for you because you love the game. How much time are you spending playing poker? I was playing about, uh, 50 hours a week at that point. Okay. So in this 50 hours, what are you doing outside of playing poker? Because I'm trying to figure out when you had time to meet your wife, your now wife, Kim, like when were uh-huh. you doing I played a whole lot of Grand Theft Auto San Andreas <laughs> and Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And okay. I mean, I like that was my day it was it was poker and then immediately after just video games for like i don't know six hours straight between the grand theft auto those two specifically and uh and tiger woods golf i I mean i just played a ton of of it was on playstation 2 i think back then Had, had you made uh had you made friends in vegas at this point yeah i did i made friends um mostly through working which is actually where i met my wife we both worked at the palms um, ah, okay. So I, I met her there, and then we ended up getting together shortly after I quit. But uh, but yeah, I made friends through uh, through dealing at the Palms, and then I made friends with a few players. And 
Um, so what did uh, Kim have to say that you were quitting your job and going to play poker full time? What did she think about that? So she, was she working in the poker room as well? She was. Uh, okay. She was a dealer three days and a shift manager two days. Her two days as a shift manager were my two days off. So she was my replacement the two days that I, of the week that I had off. Okay. Um, so Kim knew what she was getting into. Um, so where did you go on your first date? Where did you take her on your first date? Oh my God. That's such a good question. You uh, remember your first poker hand and you don't remember your first date. No, I took her to eat at the top of the world restaurant, the stratosphere. Good choice. Uh, nice. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, the lobster bisque was amazing. <laughs> Have you always had such a good memory? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> so now you are dating how long were you dating kim before you got engaged you know it was like this is long term thank god i thought that question was going somewhere else um <laughs> uh we we were dating uh man the end of 04 until we got engaged in 2009 okay so about five years dating before we got engaged. Were you guys living together or still separate the whole time? No, we lived together. Um, we had an apartments in the same complex for a while where me and my, my buddy Ben had an apartment and she had an apartment in the same complex. And I kind of split my time, mostly stayed with her. But we actually got our first house together in uh, November of 05. Um. So about about a year after we started dating, we moved in together. Do you think it would have been different if Kim was not in the poker world for like sort of understanding your schedule and that sort of thing? And do you think it might not have worked? I, I can definitely see how some people have uh, issues with it. I mean, she understood it because she had lived that world. But it's funny because now, and I think she'll even admit it now, that I find she was more understanding of it then than she is now because now she's been out of that world for so long. So I don't think it's 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 like – I don't know. It's like a learned behavior maybe. You know, she'll say stuff that's like very results-oriented like, oh, well, you won three days in a row during these hours. You should always play during these hours, <laughs> which, which I know that she knows better than that. But like I, I get it from like an outsider's point of view. like. I get it. Like if somebody told me something like that and I didn't know anything about it, I would say, well, you found it. Like keep, keep doing it. That's gotta <laughs> right. be right. What do you think the difference was between you wanting to play full time and her not getting into that because you guys were at exactly the same spot, uh, exactly the same time, but you went and oh, did yeah. your thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's pretty simple. She's Vietnamese. So, uh, <laughs> she, what does that mean? she has got, way too much gamble she has no like she has no quit when it comes to like <laughs> like seven eight offsuit like she can make a straight she's in there <laughs> <laughs> i like her style yeah so yeah. She, she should be playing andrew's style of poker no i should be playing benton's style of poker. <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean no that's that's 100 percent. it was she didn't first of all she didn't have the love for the game that i did she didn't care to learn she didn't care to study um, or to talk to people, uh, you know, back then there wasn't a lot of study material. You can get your hand on some books, read some books. Most of my, you know, learning then was, uh, it wasn't actually learning about poker. It was learning how to not go broke while being a poker player. Um, and it was mostly through the guy I've mentioned several times to where he lived out here 13 years and he pretty much, you know, he was my, uh, Kanish, right. From rounders where he, he gave me his own playbook where he said, you know, don't go bet sports and, you know, stay out of the pit and stay out of the strip clubs and all this other stuff that can just lead, lead guys to, that was my learning where she had no, no desire for any of that. For her, it was strictly, uh, let's just go play some four, eight, hold them with our friends and have some drinks and, you know, raise it up and see what comes on the flop. Nice. Okay. So it was just like more, much more casual for her. Yes. Um, so now you are together you get engaged, you get mm -hmm. married. Well, a whole um, lot, a whole lot happened before that, where where she got offered a job in Texas, and we actually left Las Vegas, and uh, 
and then she got moved to Alabama. But yeah, we got engaged somewhere along the line there. Got married and, and bounced all over between Alabama and Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, back to Texas, and then back to Vegas. So you were you were doing a lot of commuting, right? You said she got a job in Houston. There's no yeah. casinos there. Yeah. So at that point, when she was at Houston, online poker is still in full effect. I mean, we moved to Austin in uh, 07, and you know, online poker is still booming. So I just played online in 07, 08, and then of course 2011 happened, and uh, and that all stopped very quickly. I scrambling to what I should do. We we're living in Alabama at that point. So I rented an apartment in Biloxi, Mississippi, which is about an hour away. And I would commute to Biloxi and stay at the apartment two or three nights a week. Hmm. And obviously at this point, you you don't have a child, right? Well, actually, we had a child on April 1st, 2011. Oh. I, I decided to take two weeks off first two weeks he was born now i'm still playing on the site that i'm a sponsor pro on and uh on april what was that andrew april 14th or april 15th i think yeah 15th tax day yeah april 15th of 2011 black friday hit so at the very end of my two weeks right as i'm getting ready to go back to work playing online uh, i get the news that there's no more online so now i've got a two-week-old child and no job Oh, okay. So tell me what what is going through your mind at this point and what conversation are you having with Kim regarding well, this? I, I, do you have censorship on this podcast or not? <laughs> words. Um, what's going through my mouth and what's going through my head are probably kind of different, but uh, the, mostly the, my first thought is, holy crap, what are we going to do now? Um, now Kim is working, so it's not like we're gonna, you know, not be able to take care of the baby. Plus, um, at this point I had saved up some, some money to where, you know, we're okay, but obviously I can't, um, just not work anymore at that point. So, yeah, so we, we kind of take a little while. I take a little bit longer than two weeks off and we start deciding what I want to do and started making some trips to Biloxi and said, okay, this is, this is reasonable, um, Kim's working. I still want to bring him some money. Um, so let's get the apartment in Biloxi relatively cheap, you know, 800 bucks a month or so. And, uh, and it gave us a place to go on the weekend as a family and, you know, go to the beach in Biloxi and I worked for two or three days. So all in all, that wasn't, it ended up not being as bad as I thought it was going to be and kind of transitioned me back into playing live poker. From not having a child to having a child, what was the biggest shift, right? I mean, obviously you've had, you got the added stress of uh, Black Friday, but if we just take that away, like what shifted for you or did you anticipate any sort of changes in your schedule, like how you were going to manage playing poker with a child like yeah. sleepless nights. Obviously, you know, we know infants don't sleep that much at the beginning. Right. How do you manage that? You can't really. Um, because there's there's no <laughs> there's no guarantee that the baby is gonna do what you want it to do when you want it to do it. That's just never gonna work out. What we tried to do was anticipate as best we could. We hired a nanny to come in at six in the morning and stay from six in the morning till noon. My plan before the internet went away, of course, we're hiring this nanny. The plan was uh, I would still work at night when I was working before, like seven at night till two in the morning or so online. And then the nanny would come in at six in the morning, you know, close my door in a perfect world and I wouldn't hear him and I would sleep until 10 or 11. Then I would let her go at noon and I would watch the baby until Kim got home at five in the afternoon. Got it. Okay, so you get help, right? Um, yeah, that was the plan, and then and then Black Friday hit. Uh, so we decided to still try to do that. I was going to try to play on the few sites that stayed open. Then the nanny ended up flaking out, and we had to call the ambulance one day because she kept passing out holding the baby. And <laughs> um, I mean, it was just you. You learn very quickly. You can't just let strangers around children like your new children. You actually have to like take care of them. Um, which I wasn't prepared for that, but you know, it worked out okay. Cause what we ended up doing was, uh, yeah, it was a complete, it was completely different, life completely changed. I, uh, 
I would stay home with him Monday through Friday during the day. On Friday, him and I would, would go to the apartment. Then when Kim would get off of work, she would come to Biloxi, meet us at the apartment, and then I would work all weekend. Mm-hmm. And then we would go back home and, and do it again. And it got tiring. Yeah, I mean, Kim, I could tell that it wore on her because for her, she would work all week and then she would never be able to enjoy her home on the weekend. She would always be at the apartment, which was just a one-bedroom apartment, and just taking care of Braden while I worked. And and vice versa. Like I would be tired from watching Braden all week, and then I would feel like now I've got to go try to put in 20 or 30 hours of work just over a weekend. Uh, yeah. So it was tough. I mean, we had to, we, we definitely had some talks about it and, you know, we did the best we could every Wednesday night. We did hire a girl that way we could have a date night on Wednesday nights. Uh, I was just going to ask about that. Like what, you know, what did you do to keep your relationship healthy yeah. or going during that time? Because it doesn't sound like it's like, you know, the easiest of time with having to travel for work and work all week and look after a, bit, a growing baby. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was our one night was we would do, we do Wednesdays and occasionally we would feel like we needed another night. So we would, uh, we would ask the, she was a you know, local high school girl and she did great with Braden and, and she would come over and, and watch him for a few hours while we would go have dinner or go see a movie. And that was it. I mean, that was, we did what we could. Now, when we were in Biloxi, I still tried to, even if I was working, obviously I wouldn't work all days, uh, all day and all night. So Maybe if I was going into work at two in the afternoon, I would try to take them, you know, for a nice lunch at 11, just so all three of us could do something or get up in the morning and go, go out to the beach together. You have just a little bit of time here and there and you just try to make the most of it. But I wish I could say it's all, you know, sunshine and rainbows and you have a baby and life's grand, but it's, it's a lot of work and yeah. it's, it's tough. That's what you I really, yeah. You really have to work at it and you know, it's worth it, but it's, it's tough. So what happens when you are in a downswing? I mean, even today, how do you manage? Oh, I, like- I, yeah, I text Andrew and just start cursing in the text. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like Brayden comes home and obviously he has no concept of what is like happening in your life. And so how do you manage that with like having to sort of guide him, be there for him, be enthusiastic about his activities when poker is not great um i like to think that i don't bring it home with me okay. uh at this point i mean it's it's almost 15 years in now um that i've been playing for a living but i still do a little bit but i, I find like for me bringing it home just means i might go to bed a little bit earlier or uh i might say you know instead of playing this board game why don't you come sit on my lap and let's let's watch a movie or something it's not you know come home and yell at him and kick the dog because I had a losing day. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, you laugh, but like for some people it is that way. I've got yeah. a friend who's, whose dad was a professional poker player. And he said that when he would come home, uh, he can remember as a child coming home from school and he would always go to his mom first and he would make eye contact with her and she would either smile and nod yes or give him like a sullen head shake no. And if she shook her head no, like he, he just – he had to leave his dad alone because he was scared that he might go off on him. And if he had a, a head shake, yes, he knew that was the time to ask for whatever it was that he was really wanting. Like that was the time to go for it, right? I don't feel like I'm that way. Like, yeah, I mean, I try to be even keel either way. Do you, I mean, obviously you've been playing poker now for, like you said, 15 years, but how did you, besides your mentor, is there anything else that you did to learn to be that way? Because obviously you're saying, you know, uh, I wasn't very decisive when you were younger. You have to mm-hmm. be decisive as a poker player. So what things did you do to get to that point? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, you do. You do have to be decisive as a poker player, but that doesn't mean you have to be decisive in real life because I'm still not decisive at all. Like, <laughs> okay. like when it comes down to Kim saying, okay, so where are we going to go eat tonight? Like, I'm just always whatever you want. It's, it's, it's all on you because like I don't want to make a decision. So Maybe you're just exhausted from making so many decisions in an eight hour period at work. There you go. You tell her that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking a question. I don't want you to listen to this podcast and be like, I'm giving you an out. No, no, no. I, I, I think that's just my nature. I think I'm, I'm, I'm 
you know, at least from what I've been told, like too nice for my own good and I'm extremely easygoing. And I honestly, for the most part, unless it's really important to me, I, I just, I don't care. And it's not like I don't care. It's like, I don't care what you do. It's like, would I choose either one? I'm happy to do either one. I care about things. I just don't care about making the choice that that doesn't drive. Got it. For you and Brayden, like your relationship, how do you how do you convey to him uh, sort of career stuff? Do you even talk about that? I mean, I know he's quite young still. Oh, right? I know, but he's so inquisitive. Like he knows exactly. He's been knowing what I do for a living, and he is happy to tell anybody who he meets. My daddy's a poker player. Oh. <laughs> um, funny story. Uh, when he was four, we put him in. Um, uh, a school here called challenger and they they really like push the kids and uh but he was all about just non-stop talking and one day the teacher called us in she's like oh guys I, I hate to break it to you but i don't know what to do with him he is just making up so many stories he's like he said that he was a vampire and they're like yeah he's not a vampire and uh he said that his grandpa was a race car driver I'm like well his grandpa drove a race car like once, right? He's like, yeah. And he said his dad plays poker for a living. And you're like, uh, that one's true. <laughs> so it's, he's, yeah, he's happy to tell anybody and everybody that. But, but yeah, it's cool. I, I, I mean, I've started playing poker with him. He'll be the first to tell you that he bluffed me one time and he's so proud of it. <laughs> um, That's so sweet. He used to say he wants to be like daddy and, and play poker. And, uh, I wouldn't really say anything about it, but, you know, hopefully he doesn't choose that. Uh, and I love poker and I wouldn't push people away from it, but I just think that, you know, if he wants to play poker one day, that's fine. But I would, I would rather see him at least try the, the career, the career world's not for everybody, but I'd like to see him at least try it. And if it doesn't work and he wants to play poker, well, you know, God bless him. I'd, I'd be more than happy to do what I can to help him. I'll give him a free membership to the hand history lounge. <laughs> Free membership to the Hand All History right, Lounge. I'll, I'll sign off. On as long as my yeah, as long as my partner. Okay, okay maybe fifty percent off on Hand nah, History. Cool. We'll, we'll let this one slide. <laughs> Do you have any other questions for Benton? Yeah, I, I would. I guess uh, I would ask. Like, is there much of a difference in like the stress levels of the job? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, yeah, I'm gonna be as honest as I can about that. I. Uh, if I if I didn't feel properly bankrolled for the games that I'm playing, I couldn't imagine making a living uh, for myself, my wife, and my son. Because I mean, we spend a lot of money now. Um, you know, our, our monthly nut is is getting up there. It's pretty high. Um, and Kim just started working um, recently full time doing real estate. So if anybody in the Vegas area needs real estate needs. Let us know. Uh, anyway, enough plugs with that. But uh, before, I mean, for, for four years, she hasn't worked. So it's it's all been on me to, to provide for her and for Brayden. And uh, I feel immense amounts of stress when I'm downswinging, even though the money's not an issue because I'm playing well within the bankroll. It's It just like weighs on your mind. Like I've got these other people to take care of. What if it never turns around? What if I never win again? At what point do I stop doing this and go and go look for a job out of panic mode to make sure that I can support them? So do yeah, you know I, I don't know. Point would be no. I, I hope I never come to it. I know because um, I think it's like a really difficult thing to know because it, there's the one point where you could do that when it's just about to turn around. Or right, you don't but, do it soon enough. And the thing is, like, let's just say you play in a um, – so, like, my normal games, the, the 510 at Bellagio, it's a $1,500 buy-in. So, like, what's the correct bankroll for that? Do you need 30 buy-ins plus six months of living expenses for your family? Do I need 100 buy-ins plus six months living expenses? And I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that. I've always felt comfortable having a hundred buy-ins. That would seem like a good number for me. But like, at what point, if you start having a, a downswing, at what point do you just say, Oh my God, like enough's enough. I'm going to go get a job. Or do you, you know, just ride her till she bucks you. 
And I, I don't know the answer to that. So I guess that's where the, the stress level comes in. But I tell you, when you when you're winning, you don't think about any of that stuff because um, you just know, like, oh yeah, it's fine. I'm going to support my family. I've got all the bills paid. But you know, if you have like six months where you just see your your net worth six months in a row and it goes down every single month, you start questioning yourself. Um, and it it'll definitely make uh, the gray in your beard come out a lot quicker. <laughs> any ideas, Andrew? What the what it would be like? The number. Not the number, but when you would know. Oh, I'm curious about the number too. I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said. It's tough because it's different for everybody. Everyone has a different threshold of stress and they might have a different number as a result. So, you know, when you when that padding is smaller, they get into panic mode and everyone gets into that mode at a different point. And... You're not going to be playing very good poker, I don't think, and it's a terrible life when you're in that in that mode. So other people they do okay with it, and they're able to ride out the the storm. Um, so it's really tough to say. Obviously, the more the better for everybody. Yeah, and I would think the less. I mean, I think the people who ride out the storm are the ones who have a whole lot less to lose. Just 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 guessing. I mean, a a single guy who's got a two thousand dollar a month uh, nut between his car and his apartment and everything. Yeah. Um, like I would feel much more comfortable going down to some 30,000, 20,000. I mean, it doesn't even really matter. Does it? Cause like, you yeah, even if you go to make it back up, even if you go to zero, you could probably still figure something out and right. it's not like disaster for your family. But like for me, I'm thinking like if I would ever go to like almost zero, like I need to figure out how to get 6,000 a month every month just to pay our bills plus enough money for a bankroll to like get back in action. And like, that's just a tall task to start asking them anybody. Yep. Ben, so. Don't discourage people to get married with poker players. <laughs> poker players <laughs> trying to get married out here. <laughs> I, I think, I think that's fine, but I think that they should, uh, I think you should be realistic about it. And I think that you should always prepare for not prepare for the worst, but prepare yourself for the future. Like, you know, when, when we had our son, I had made sure I, I saved up a decent bit of money and Kim was working. So we, you know, we knew we'd be able to take care of that. It's just, I, to me, it's all about the stress level because it's a miserable, miserable life if you're super stressed out about stuff. But as long as, as long as you put yourself in a position to where you can take a downswing and it not affect you, it's a great life. I have probably spent more time with my son than most working fathers do just because of my flexibility of my schedule. I mean, I can take a month off at a time. My parents came out. I took two out of the last three months off because my parents were here, got to spend time with the family. When Braden was growing up, I'd take every vacation with them. You know, I stayed home with them every day. Like I was afforded luxuries. Most, most parents don't get because of poker. So I'm extremely grateful for poker, but I'm also extremely realistic that it can be a brutal, brutal game if you don't financially prepare yourself for, for what could possibly come. Yeah, well said. And I think you should not only be very grateful, I think you should be really proud of that because you, uh, you did it the right way. Thanks, man. You're a veteran, poker veteran. Yeah. I know, I know. I moved out here as 21 years old. Like, I've still got the book somewhere where uh, Amarillo Slim, when he signed my book, he, he – uh, he'd give everybody a nickname because that was Amarillo Slum's thing. And he's the one who gave me Cajun Kid Poker because obviously Negrano is coming up as Kid Poker. So he wrote in my book Cajun Kid Poker. And uh, I don't feel like such a kid anymore, you know. But but back then, I mean, I was 21. I was in Vegas. And now I'm 37 and I have a wife and a child and a, and a bunch of gray in the beard and no hair on the top of my head. And, <laughs> you know, life is grand. Well, I think uh... – that's a good note to end the podcast on. For sure. And and I wouldn't trade it for the world, just so you guys know. I'm extremely happy. So Good to hear. Good to hear, man. Thank you so yep. much for giving us insight on that. Because people like ask Andrew and I, and I'm like, uh, wrong people to ask. Like <laughs> People just expect Andrew to quit playing poker if we ever have kids, right? And so <laughs> it's really nice to have somebody who is actually – playing poker and has a family as well to sort of share insight and on what that life could look like and caution as well on being properly bankrolled. 
So Yeah, for sure. And thank you guys for having me. I do appreciate it. We loved having you. And if you need coaching from a 15-year poker veteran, you can reach out to Benton Blakeman. He can be found at the Hand History Lounge or Benton Blakeman on it's either, Twitter. Yep. It's handhistorylounge.com or bentonblakeman.com. Um, That's and right. Yeah, maybe if you want to get married, have kids, Benton could be <laughs> <Yeah>. your man. <laughs> the, the Hand History Lounge is growing every day. So if anybody out there is really looking to get better, it's such a great spot just to – to meet people, uh, like-minded people, judgment-free zone. And, you know, you just get some great advice there. Even if you don't post yourself, just, uh, just being there, soaking up the knowledge, it's, you know, it's such a great price. It's, it's just the right way to learn. In my opinion, I think it's the best way to learn is just to, to really immerse yourself in it. I agree. Super. So thank you so much for coming on Tells. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks, Thanks. Benton. Thanks Benton. All right. Take care.